Welcome to Funeral Directors Chat, where funeral professionals discuss industry topics, trends, and news. And now your host, Nancy Bourbon. Hi, I'm Nancy Bourbon, your host for Funeral Directors Chat, a podcast providing funeral professionals with insight to current industry topics, news, and trends. Today, I have the honor of revisiting my good friend, Joe Sehe. He's a leading advocate of the Green Burial Movement in the United States. He's also the executive director of the Green Burial Council, which is an organization he founded to encourage sustainability in the death care industry and to use the burial process as a means of facilitating ecological restoration and landscape level conservation. Welcome, Joe. Thanks for having me, Nancy. Thanks. And in our first uh, podcast, which we did in early 2010, you talked a lot about green burial. And in this podcast, I thought that since green cremation has become such a huge topic, we would touch on that as well. But for those who didn't listen to the first podcast, would you just like to talk a little bit about Green Burial and what your movement stands for? Well, we really um, are trying to impact all aspects of funeral service and show that going green doesn't take anything off the table. Really, a family can do whatever they want to help honor the dead, heal the living, invite in the divine. And we've been very careful not to do a good, better, and best approach to this. Some people, for example, with regard to cremation, which many people in the green burial field believe should not be a part of this movement because there's environmental impacts, don't consider that some people have religious requirements for the use of cremation. Others have financial circumstances for its use. So what we just want to show is that whatever mode of body prep or memorialization or disposition appeals to you, it can be done in a more environmentally sustainable way. We started out setting forth standards for green cemeteries. We then learned unless funeral homes were willing to be involved, uh, there weren't going to be many people going to green cemeteries. And we started to set standards for not only funeral homes, but burial products and cremation disposition programs. You know, before we get into green cremation, let's talk about what green isn't. And I think there's a term that's most commonly used for that. It's called greenwashing. That's right. You know, the Federal Trade Commission in their recently updated green guides uh, had some comments. And one of the consultants looking at it brought up the fact that maybe 80% of all green claims, natural, environmental, sustainable, across sectors and industries are empty or misleading. And it's especially important within the context of funeral service where a lot of the families who like this idea have some misgivings about funeral service. Many of them had been planning on direct cremation and they want to come back to the funeral service field, but they want to feel like they're dealing with folks that are embracing a new ethic for a new era. And really, a lot of what appealed about funeral service in the past made sense to a culture, for example, infatuated with sanitation and industrialization, doesn't make as much sense to a culture today that's concerned about preventing cancer uh, and uh, climate change. So greenwashing is when a, a provider, manufacturer, makes claims that can't be backed up. Unfortunately, in our industry, we have people out there selling green caskets when they have no idea where the casket uh, may have come from or what ingredients are in the adhesives or the stains. Uh, they may 
just be passing along representations that a manufacturer's made without verifying them in any way. I think one of the biggest cases of greenwashing in the funeral service industry has to do with embalming fluids, many of which are now being touted as green or eco-friendly because they're formaldehyde-free. Well, there are a lot of toxic chemicals out there uh, causing health issues for people that are not formaldehyde. And in fact, the free of labeling is an example of greenwashing, according to the FTC. What we need is for manufacturers to come clean and to give fully disclosed material safety data sheets that explain exactly what's in their, their, their chemicals so people can know if they're eco-friendly or not. And this is what people don't understand. If we don't do it in one area, how can we do it in another? And the council has been really focused on trying to get funeral service providers to commit to a certain level of transparency and accountability. And that's what we really need to bring about this movement in a credible fashion and grow this niche in the marketplace. If we don't do it, I think most families will stick with their direct cremation. Um, but if we do it credibly, it provides a way to really engage families and bring people back to funeral service. But greenwashing has to be avoided at all costs. You're absolutely right. I mean, it started back in the 80s and 90s when companies were spending more money on advertising than on the green efforts themselves. That's right. And it's still going on. And it's pretty discouraging today to think that we don't really have much going on at any level of government that's combating it. That happens in some other countries, not in the U.S. currently. So we're, we're left to rely on independent trust providers like the Green Burial Council to do that work. Look, a funeral home can do the same thing, but I personally can't even read a material safety data sheet. I don't know how most funeral directors are going to do it. Um, same with a, you know, a burial ground. How do you know if you're referring a family to a green cemetery that the ecological and aesthetic promises made today are going to be upheld tomorrow? Well, you don't unless there's some legally enforceable instrument running with the land and there's ongoing monitoring and reporting. Same with products. So we, we need to all be in this together. And that's what we've tried to do. We've tried to create a very integrative approach and an open source approach. We're learning from one another here, but we have to make a good faith effort to do this right if it's to grow credibly. You're absolutely right. In fact, Madison Avenue calls this type of um, greenwashing eco-pornography. Hmm, I haven't heard that. That's great. The U.S. is probably the most lenient because they call cars in a better environment inside and out. Um, even George Bush's administration, his Clear Skies initiative, actually weakened air pollution laws. And um, nothing's really done about it. When in Australia, they have the Australian Trade Practices Act, and any organization found guilty of greenwashing could face up to $1.1 million in fines. And I think that's going to happen here, too. And, you know, what's really interesting, Nancy, is that what we've tried to do is show that as a field, we're, we're capable of doing self-regulation. And if we're not able to do this, we're going to start to see laws put in place that could really impact this. It, it, this is already happening on the burial ground front. There's a state where legislation was passed that requires every new green or natural burial ground to have a conservation easement in place. And it was out of concern of one particular cemetery that had been launched. Well, what that means is that there probably won't be many green cemeteries developed in this state because very few land trusts are willing to get involved with this idea right now. Um, 
you know, we need to do this right or it'll be done for us. And we need to support trust providers that are independent and um, not at risk of being captured. I don't think it makes sense to have trade associations that have longstanding relationships with suppliers to think that they're going to be able to do this in a credible fashion. In fact, the FTC has commented on that as well. But uh, we're, we're probably going to have to learn the hard way in this country as we do oftentimes. Well, it seems like that would be a conflict of interest. Well, it is a conflict of interest to have a trade association involved in eco-certification. It doesn't make sense. The IRS needs to be engaged in this area, too, because there's some laws that prevent certain types of nonprofits, a C3, for example, having a charitable purpose that is associated with eco-certification. I think that has to be challenged, and actually we're trying to do something about that, and we're trying to get a conversation going with the agency, and we were in D.C. a couple months back trying to do just that. But we have our work cut out for us, and I'm a little skeptical about how this green economy is going to emerge if we don't have means of verifying environmental claims, you know, because I think consumers need to be able to move past skepticism. It's easy to be skeptical right now, um, but if we don't have a way of getting people past that, they're going to stay where they're at. And in this case, in funeral service, it means I'm going to have a direct cremation without a funeral. Thank you very much. And for us to bring people beyond that, we have to show that there really are legitimate environmental aims being furthered. We really are protecting worker health. We really are conserving precious natural resources. We really are reducing carbon emissions. We really are preserving and restoring habitat. That has to be paramount. If those environmental aims aren't real, then we're never going to see any traction here. No, and if, if you look at the, uh, the tons of metal and uh, wood and, and toxicity that goes into the earth with traditional um, burials, we really can't allow that to continue much longer. No, we really can't, and much of the world has figured it out. Uh, I think we're lagging behind in that area, but we're going to get dragged along, I think, because consumers, you know, especially in this context, you know, when you're talking about one's last act, People don't want to go out with a blast of pollution if they can avoid it. This is sort of their, their gift back to the planet. It's, it's part of their legacy. And we're learning that even though it may seem inconsequential in some ways, it's a very significant gesture for many consumers. It is. And a lot of the public really uh, embrace it. It's really funeral directors who are putting up a, a into it. And there needs to be clear and concise standards set. I really think so. I think early on, there wasn't the uh, belief that there would necessarily be competition in the marketplace. So no one talked about industry standards. But look, if green cremation, if done improperly at the wrong pH, for example, can corrode sewage pipes. If the temperature is not correct, it can cause clogging and problems at sewage treatment plants. Clearly, there, there need to be standards in place as well. But Unfortunately, in this country, it seems like we don't get to that point until there's a problem. You know, that's when most legislation seems to be promulgated. We, we don't like to think very proactively, but I hope that that happens in this case. Well, it needs to be environmental regulations. I mean, the consumer preferences are towards green, and it does save 90% of carbon emissions 
and 75% of traditional retorts can run you three to $4,000 a month just in gas. And um, what is every cremation is equivalent to a 500-mile auto ride? I think everything we do, you know, has some environmental impact. And we're so reluctant to beat up on any one aspect of funeral service. But people do want to mitigate these things. And I think there's going to be appeal for anything that does that. And also connects death to life, which is ultimately what the green burial movement's really doing. It's letting people know that we're all part of this natural cycle and we can use our death to create more pollution and problems for our people or we can use it to do something positive for the planet. And that's a really interesting invitation for many families, a growing number of families. Absolutely. And there are two companies that are, are really doing it right. One of them, obviously, is Matthews because they're using Resonation which originated in Australia and Scotland, I believe. I believe so, and, and was done here in the States at the, the Mayo Clinic, I guess, to some degree, right? Mayo Clinic, Cornell, yeah, Cornell Medical Center, and an eco-green cremation um, as well. Um, they adapted the alkaline hydrolysis and did a similar formulation. And um, it basically is accelerated decomposition. What you can do in the earth, it takes about 20 years for the body to decompose naturally. You can do in approximately one to two hours in a water-based solution with potassium hydroxide. And everything is sterile. The effluent that is emitted at the end of the process is completely sterile before it goes back to the water sewage treatment. But there needs to be standards. As you said, the pH level has to be eight or less. It cannot be higher. And the uh, water temperature has to be at least 350 degrees. Those things have to be standardized. Otherwise, we're going to get people who are used to putting livestock to rest using alkaline hydrolysis in the movement of putting people to rest. And that really can't happen. Well, that's what scares me because really all we're talking about is the ability to use caustic chemicals in a way to flush them into the sewage system. Um, that's not rocket science on some level. You know, it, it, it's, it's gone on in, in various forms. It certainly does need to be regulated. Just to be clear, too, the Green Barrel Council has yet to get involved in this area. But where we do get involved is where, you know, an industry or sector of the industry wants to protect what they're doing and define their environmental benefits in a way so it's a barrier to entry and so that they can distinguish themselves from some other product that may be making the same sorts of claims but not really furthering the same environmental aims. So I wouldn't be surprised if we're eventually dragged back in, into this area and we'd be happy to be part of the conversation. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, that has to happen, Joe. It's not a new procedure. It's been around since 1888 in England. And in the United States, it's been around since the 1930s. This is final disposition for pets, for livestock, cadavers, medical waste. There are a number of different uses for it. And they are all regulated within their specific industries. What's happened is since, I believe, 2008, when resumation was um, approved in the U.S. in Florida, I believe, was the first state. Matthews has been using it, eco-cremation, and then there are a couple other people that decided that, well, if we're doing livestock, then we can do humans. But the same standards certainly do not apply. And there has to be dignity in death. Some of the ways that we put down livestock or we dispose of cadavers certainly are not dignified enough for human final disposition. Yeah, it's, it's so true. And we're in flux with what's decent and dignified 
I guess in years past, people didn't really like the idea of incinerating a body. Uh, that didn't seem to, to sit well with a lot of people, and it's obviously so mainstream. I mean, I think we have to just be careful. The industry shouldn't make the mistake of dictating what's appropriate. I think they need to listen to the market rather than argue with it. And you know, it remains to be seen how people will respond to an idea. If, if concern about climate change continues, then I, I suspect we're going to see more enthusiasm for this sort of an idea. But uh, there's evidence out there now that Americans are less concerned about climate change than they were a few years ago, which is pretty shocking <laughs> compared to how the rest of the world views it. But I, I think, you know, in the end, you know, we're going to see things clearly, but it, we may be in for a, a little rough patch with some of this stuff. Well, what do you think about what's going on in Oregon? Oregon's been one of the more eco-friendly states in the union, and I think it's a great place to look to. It's funny, with green burial, you know, it's sort of counterintuitive. We thought seven and a half years ago when we were founded that we'd see the most interest in high cremation rate states, but it really came about more quickly in places where there, where there was a richer tradition of funeral service, and I think a lot of consumers were so alienated from funeral service and so used to using direct cremation that they weren't into this idea just yet. But I really think baby boomers, you know, are going to change things fundamentally. And I think it behooves us to look at what really is going on in places like Oregon and Washington and California, even though right now we don't see a, a lot of demand. I think it's pent up. And I think in 10 years from now, that's really where we're going to see a, a lot of the traction with the green burial movement. Well, where, where do you see it heading now? Well, you know, I think we're at the point right now where we've done a great deal of industry engagement. We had a very specific strategy at the council, which was not to harness consumer demand when we didn't have funeral homes and cemeteries and product manufacturers willing to come on board. So it's taken us several years to make sure that this idea wasn't threatening and scary the way cremation was, for example, several decades back. But really, I think it's now going to be incumbent upon consumers who are going to be calling on their local funeral homes and cemeteries asking about this and you know, we've done a fair bit of retraining and provided a lot of technical assistance within the industry. But I think what you're going to start to see over the next few years, especially with the, uh, the release of a new documentary film called A Will for the Woods about the green burial movement, I think you're going to start seeing more awareness on the part of consumers. Americans are horribly unaware of their rights and options when it comes to funeral service. And green burial provides a way for people to want to think and talk about this stuff. And I think that's going to continue. I think it's our last cultural taboo. And I think green burial is really going to become a vehicle for people to get in on the conversation. Well, I think it's changing also. I actually am the first person who's been certified to teach in mortuary school, a green burial and green cremation. And I had my first class a couple of weeks ago at McAllister in New York. And I was really surprised. I had about 50 people in my session. It was about two and a half hours. And there were at least 50 other people who had wanted to sign up, but they didn't realize that the demand would be that high. And so they only offered the one class. But I had a number of people come up afterwards. And, and these are basically people from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and a few people from Florida who were very concerned about the environment and really wanted to embrace both aspects of green burial. 
and were really hungry for information. They really felt like, you know, we really need to do this. We can't let California, Oregon, and Washington lead the nation. We really have to take lead in the Northeast as well. And I was really surprised by the high level of enthusiasm. Yeah, it's been very interesting to see who's been receptive and who hasn't been uh, for the concept. But I've been pretty pleased overall. I mean, yeah, there's greenwashing in this field and there's people who are doing some silly things when it comes to pricing it. You know, we've got a lot of work to do, obviously. But I think overall, there's a lot of environmental leadership that's been cultivated in the field of funeral service and people coming forward to get the word out, you know, and I mean, this could have so easily gone the way of cremation, or it could have been seen as direct, immediate, cheap burial and a race to the bottom financially, which, which it's, it's not going to be. Um, and we've had to really get in there and take some lumps from some people that wanted to define it a certain way, where it was, uh, it was essentially cheap, but it wasn't really doing anything for the planet. And, and we've had to make people realize that, you know, sometimes... When you invest in certain things, there's even a premium that consumers are willing to pay if they really believe in this. It, obviously, Green Barrel across the board can provide a lot of cost savings, but we've discovered that cost is not the big driver. As I've said before, it's not the reason people are attracted to this. If, you know, if that is the main objective of, of a family, they're going to stick with a direct cremation. There's another story that people... Uh, really find exciting about this, and and we need to make sure that it remains nonfiction. Absolutely, and, and during the last NFDA conference, they polled funeral directors, and most funeral directors felt there were like twelve to fifteen percent said yes, they're interested in uh, green cremation, they're interested in green burial in general, but forty six percent said they would absolutely investigate it and embrace it more if competition was involved in their area. Well, that's obviously what drags a lot of people into it. We've discovered, you know, which isn't the best reason. But listen, we're dealing with businesses and we have to be realistic about this. It has to make economic sense. And serving families, I, again, I, I long have held that as bizarre as some conventional aspects of funeral service are to a lot of Americans, and they're out of whack with the way, you know, much of the world handles its dead. It did make sense to people a long time ago. It's just that the funeral service industry hasn't allowed new models and new ideas to come forward so easily. So we have what seems very anachronistic to a lot of folks out there. And it is. It's, it, you know, the idea that we're going to use toxic chemicals to preserve a body when non-toxic and less invasive modes exist with a culture that's infatuated now with cancer. I mean, I, I, I'm, I learned recently from a, a physician who died, a 49-year-old man last year, and he wanted to use his green burial to raise awareness for the movement. Um, but it was toxic exposure, in his case, uh, from pesticides um, that probably led to his, his condition and his demise. And um, I just don't think people are going to put up with this. Why are we doing this? Why are we putting these energy-intensive boxes in the ground? We're one of two countries that uses burial vaults to any significant degree when they don't really serve a purpose. And those concerns regarding maintenance can be so easily mitigated. And they're not going to hold up. I think what we're seeing are the last gasps right now of some aspects of, of this industry that are enormously entrenched. And really, 
some suppliers, I think, have really bamboozled funeral directors for a long time into believing things that weren't necessarily true. And we're learning that more and more funeral directors are willing to let go of some of those assumptions and question them. And that's where we're starting to see some openness and willingness to embrace these ideas. But it's not the majority of the field as of yet, but I think it certainly will be in a not too distant future. You know, Joe, there are some people who are actually directing the green movement in the United States, and one of them is John McQueen, along with his brother Bill McQueen and sister Margaret. Uh, They were one of the first to embrace the celebrant movement in the United States, and that emanated from Australia, and they were obviously the first to embrace resumation. Uh, And they took a big risk. They took the technology and licensed it, and they were the first to actually put their funeral homes on the line and introduce this in the United States and Florida. And they are very concerned about the environment. And their um, clientele is of a higher grade than normal. You would think cremation, a lot of people are drawn to it because of the cost, but not necessarily. As you know, people who choose cremation are of a higher demographic group. And people who choose green burial and green cremation are of actually a little bit higher group than that. That's right. It's always bothered me. I think it's such a, a disservice to talk about price being the big driver, really it's people don't see value in conventional funeral service, but people do see value in some of this green death care because of the legitimate environmental aims it can further. Uh, And that's why it has to be protected. Uh, And that's why cost, again, is not the big driver here. And if it were, as I said before, people would stick with direct cremation or direct burial. They're not. They're they're wanting to do something uh, that's more important than that and that feels better for them. And yeah, I'm glad that there are people willing to step up and and provide leadership in the field. This is a very conservative industry that does follow the leader a lot. And we need to have people open to new models and willing to listen to families and not overly prescribing what is decent or dignified or appropriate. We need to let families have the space to do what is in line with their core values. And that can be very difficult in the pluralistic society that we live in to determine. I found it in my own family. Um, but it's really it's really essential. And I'm, I am pleased that there are people like that out there who are willing to provide that sort of leadership. It's true. And before we close, could you just tell us a little bit about that new film, A Will for the Woods? Yeah, a trailer for A Will for the Woods can be seen at awillforthewoods.com. And it's a story, really, a, a verite, a documentary that uh, is a, consists of about almost 300 hours worth of footage. Uh, two young filmmakers, Jeremy Kaplan and Amy Brown, approached me several years ago, just around the same time that a 49-year-old physician with terminal cancer approached me about wanting to use his death to raise awareness for the green burial movement and these new options that Americans have. So the filmmakers got to spend a lot of time with Dr. Wang before his death and after his death with his family. They also got to spend a lot of time understanding what the Green Burial Council was doing around America and what providers were doing to evolve this idea. And I I think it's going to be a fascinating film, and we hope it's going to be our version of An Inconvenient Truth. I think it's going to be really accessible, and I think it's going to uh, get out there in a wide much wider way than in your typical environmental film. But if anyone wants to see the trailer out there now, it's at awillforthewoods.com. When is it being released, Joe? 
It's going to probably be released late in 2012. That's very exciting. It is. Any other objectives that the Green Burial Council is working towards right now that you'd like to share? Yes, I would like to mention that we have just recently set up a new 501c3 Green Burial Council International to create a global platform so that the movement can be properly stewarded in other countries. We've spun off our Canadian affiliate where they're going to have an autonomous NGO that will evolve the standards in a way that makes sense for them and still have an affiliation with Green Barrel Council. Um, I'm going to lead that effort in Australia and, and, and Asia. And we hope to really come up with global standards so that this movement does make sense. And we can learn from each other all over the world. As you mentioned, there are great ideas that may come from some other part of the world that we're not using here and we need to have sort of an open source network to get these things to market more easily and that's what we're hoping to do so that's pretty exciting too and that should launch later this year as well well that's really exciting thank you for sharing that with us well thanks for having me on the program thanks and joe if anyone listening would like to contact you to get more information how can they do that well, we're available to talk to anyone in the field at 888-966-3330 or info at greenburialcouncil.org. And we can send out information about how to become part of this movement and how to become an approved provider. And, and obviously, they can go to your website, greenburialcouncil.org. That's right. And get a chance to really see what, what we're all about. And I encourage everyone to do that because the green movement, whether you embrace it now or embrace it later, it is the future of funeral service. And it's something that we need to do as a global community. I agree. Thank you so much, Joe. I appreciate you being with me today. Thank you, Nancy. Ordering cremation urns for your funeral home is easy with unitedpriority.com. Email your client an earned description from our website or receive tier pricing when ordering more than one item. Help your clients find the right earn with UnitedPriority.com.